when she comes. But um, yeah, so our speaker for today, his name is Pastor John Newfeld, and he is a Mennonite. <laughs> Nobody even knows what that is. All right, that's okay. I didn't either. You will find out when he comes up, okay? Um, no, he's he's an amazing anointed worship pastor. He is currently um, finishing up his last semester in seminary. Um, he's an amazing preacher. I think you guys are going to have a wonderful time today. So let's just give a warm welcome to you, Pastor John Newfeld. It's so good to be here with you guys tonight. Like, like uh, Pastor Aaron is saying, um, I'd never been here before. And um, I guess probably some of you might have been around when uh, Marcus Corpany was around, Pastor Marcus, maybe, yeah. He's my roommate. He's been my roommate for three years. And what's going on now? I was, I was going to get to it. I wasn't done. I was, I was in the process. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Pastor Aaron, for helping me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm from Canada. I'm from a, a city called Winnipeg. I'm guessing there's no one here from Winnipeg. Anyone? Anyone from the prairies in Canada? No, no, no. Not. That's the Midwest, Peter. That, that's not the prairies. That's different. Uh, it's close, though. Minnesota's close. Anyone from Alberta? Or. No. Okay. Ontario. All right. We got a few. Uh, BC. All right. Okay. Yeah. We got a few. Uh, no one from anywhere really close to uh, to where I'm from. But um, yeah, it's my privilege to be here. I've been in Korea on and off for about nine years. So I've been here. I first came out in 2002. I missed World Cup. Uh, it was just too bad. I came after World Cup. Um, but uh, I've left Korea for good. Two times already. And, uh, and God keeps bringing me back for different reasons, for different purposes. And uh, it's been my privilege to be at New Philadelphia Church for the past couple of years. And we have an amazing time there. For those of you who are at New Philly, you know what a good time we have. It's, it's, it's a church like no other, really. Um, and uh, so we have a great time there. Uh, my background in college ministry, I, it's not only my first time preaching at Emmaus. I've never preached to a, a full-on college crowd before. So I, like, I love college students. I was involved in college ministry when I was in, in university. Uh, anyone have any involvement with uh, InterVarsity here? Yeah? Whereabouts? Where from? Colgate's? Okay, and? Okay, cool. Very cool. I was at in University of Winnipeg at, at InterVarsity there and had like, an amazing time ministering on campus there. I love campus ministry, and New Philadelphia Church loves campus ministry. We pray for you guys. We love you guys. Even though I haven't seen like half your faces before, I love you. And uh, yeah, yeah, we love what God's doing on this campus, and we, um, yeah, we know that God's got huge plans for this campus. One of the things actually on my heart before I get to the message, I was on campus earlier today, and uh, just walking a bit and asking the Lord for His heart for campus here and just wanted to, to hear him speak concerning the campus 
one of the things I felt him, him speaking to me about was, was about seeds. And I feel like all sorts of seeds have been planted on this campus. Lots of seeds for years have been planted on this campus. And, um, and my mom has this, this really neat saying that's posted in, in uh, my parents' kitchen back home in Canada. And it says this. It says, anyone can count the number of seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. Uh, that's profound. <laughs> Come on. That, like that, and that's what, I, that's what I felt God speaking to me concerning this campus earlier today. As so many seeds have been planted, so many seeds have been scattered across the campus, and you have no idea how much fruit's going to come out of that. Just through being faithful to what God's calling you to do, whether ministering to a classmate or just uh, loving, just loving on someone, just showing the love of God to someone on campus, or, or whatever it might be. But not one seed that's been planted has been wasted. That God's going to use everything, and not one bit of labor for the Lord that you have invested into this campus is in vain. That's a promise from the Word of God. So yeah, God's got incredible things in store for this campus. Believe that. Really believe that. Uh, Tonight, what I want to talk about to start out is um, one of the most important truths that I've been learning over the last number of years about God, about who God is, is simply that God is passionate. Do you believe that? That our God is a God who is passionate. That God experiences emotions. Because for a lot of us, we grow up, whether if we grew up in the church or somewhere totally different, um, it can be very easy to see God as someone who is, who is disconnected, who is apathetic, who is uninterested. But there is not one shred of apathy in the heart of God. Not one. There's nothing to do with apathy in the heart of God. And, and the more I read the Bible, the more I see this over and over again, the passions and the emotions of God. Okay, so we're going to look at some of the passions and the emotions of God as they're, as they're outlined in the Bible. We're not, doing, uh, we're not going to flip around quite yet, but I'm just going to read some of these out. Concerning the, the passions and the emotions of God, do you know that God is, is a jealous God? The Bible talks about God being jealous. It says in Exodus thirty four fourteen, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God is a God who experiences the emotion of jealousy. And that's just one passage of many that, that describe the, the jealousy of God. God's also a God who experiences the emotion of anger. you believe that? For a lot of us, that's not hard to believe, actually, because depending on our faith upbringing or our, our denominational or background in the church, lots of us have an understanding that God's a God who experiences anger. Psalm 106 says, They, that's the Israelites, provoke the Lord to anger by their wicked deeds. God experiences anger in the face of sin, and in response to sin, God can be angry. He will be angry, I should say. God also experiences the emotion of grief. You believe that? 
That's what Ephesians 4 says. Ephesians 4 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That when we do things that are in rebellion to God, it actually grieves God's heart. God experiences the emotion of grief. Okay? Alright? He experiences the emotion of joy. You believe that? Zephaniah 3.17 God will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God rejoices over you. He experiences the emotion of joy. Our God is a God who experiences emotions. He's a passionate God. He experiences the emotion of hatred. You know that? It says in Malachi, Malachi 2, it says, I hate divorce. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence. God experiences the emotion of hate. He also experiences the emotion of delight. It says in Psalm 147 that God delights in those who fear him, in those who put their hope in his unfailing love. God really experiences the full range of emotions. But here's the thing about God, is that he experiences those emotions in their fullness and in their perfection. Okay? God experiences emotion, the full range of emotions in their fullness and in their perfection. Now, it's hard for us to really grasp what that looks like because we're finite and because God's infinite. He experiences these in, in infinitely greater ways than we experience emotions. One thing that helps me is to think about this. I want everyone here to think of the most passionate person that you know. Everyone in your head, who, that might be someone back home or someone on campus here, it might be someone in this room, it might be the person next to you. I'm not sure. Who is the most passionate person you've ever met? Everyone have someone, everyone have someone in your mind. You guys got it? The most passionate person. You got some passionate people on staff here with the man, so I know that. That's pretty awesome. You guys have it? Okay. So, for me, the person that comes to mind, the most passionate person that I've probably ever known is a friend of mine from college. When I was in college, longer ago than I like to admit, uh, I'm a bit older than I used to be, uh, I was I was on campus earlier, walking walking through the campus, and I like I had my backpack on, and I, I felt like a student, but I felt so much because I am a student actually, I'm a graduate student, but I felt so much older than all students on campus. I just felt, it felt really weird. Anyways, uh, when I was in college, when I was all like your age, a while back, a friend of mine uh, named Craig was probably the most passionate guy I've ever met. And Craig was a guy I used to play hockey with him. Being from Canada. I grew up playing hockey. I loved playing hockey. And I played hockey with this guy in college. And uh, Craig was on the ice. He was, he was passionate. And hockey is kind of a passionate game. If you guys ever watch hockey on TV or in person, hockey is like a lot of hockey players are very passionate, you know, very raw, very you know, emotional people, maybe over-emotional. That's why you see them fighting all the time. Uh, that sort of thing. But Craig was that kind of guy. I mean, he let his emotions get away on him. And if he, like, he was very loyal to his teammates as well. So if, if a teammate was getting like beat up, 
that that was not going to work for Craig. You know, he was going to come to the rescue. Craig was a very emotional and passionate guy. I remember driving down the road with Craig in, in one of the school vans one time. We got <laughs> they let us use the school van one time. That was, that was pretty cool. And we were driving down the road, and uh, and Craig started to tell me about how passionate he was for this certain kind of grapefruit juice. I'm thinking like, and he was like, he was so into it. Like, John, it's so good. I love it. It's grapefruit juice and I love it. And I was like, how can you be passionate about grapefruit juice? You know, it's like, and I I grew up, I, I didn't feel like I was a very passionate person. So it really struck me even more in that context. But I think about Craig. Craig was like, yeah, he, he exemplified passion and emotion more than anyone else I knew. And when I consider Craig and I put him next to God, I realize that God is infinitely more passionate than my friend Craig. Infinitely more passionate. The person that you have in your head, the most passionate person you know, God is infinitely more passionate than that person. Because he is the author of emotions. He is the author of passion. We are only passionate because those passions came from God. And he is the perfection of all those and the fullness of all of those. Okay? So God does not just feel you know, jealousy, anger, grief, joy, hatred, and delight. He feels those emotions in a God-sized way. Right? It's, it's in the infinite size of those emotions. God is filled with passion and emotion and longing. Are we getting this? And he doesn't change, the Bible says. It says God does not change like shifting shadows in James 1. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says that in Hebrews 13. God does not change. His, his emotions are full from eternity past to eternity future. He does not change. And we just scratch the surface of understanding the emotions of God. And this is one I really want to really emphasize tonight together here. And I feel this is, this is on my heart for what God wants to communicate to us tonight is that God is passionate about you. And that he's not just passionate about you. The word that I I keep getting over and over again today is that God is pursuing you. Regardless of where you are, who you are, where you've come from, what your situation is, what you have been doing, what you're doing right now, God is pursuing you. I'm going to be as bold as to say that the very fact that you are in this place tonight is evidence that God is pursuing you. That God has been chasing you to himself. That's all I really need to say tonight. I'm, I'm going to expand on that. But that is, that is what I want to communicate to you. I'm going to keep communicating it to you for the next little while. That God is pursuing you. That's his heart. That's his nature. That's what he's doing. That's the truth of who he is and how he feels toward you. Okay?
So, in terms of looking at the Word and what the Word says about God pursuing us, we're going to spend some time in the book of Hosea. And the book of Hosea, please turn there now if you got your Bibles. The book of Hosea is right after Daniel, which is right after Ezekiel, which is right after Jeremiah and Isaiah. It's like past the halfway point in your Bible. Maybe two-thirds. Right after Daniel. Are we there? Okay. Book of Hosea. Uh, before we actually jump into Hosea, to give a broad overview of the Old Testament, this I feel like this is maybe the best short description of the Old Testament, is that the Old Testament is about God as a lover who is doing everything to pursue his chosen people and his chosen people Israel doing everything in their power to push God away. Everything they can do to push God away and keep him at a distance, that's what they're doing. The Old Testament, that's over and over and over and over and over again. That's the cycle you see right through the Old Testament. God is a lover pursuing his people relentlessly. And his people keep pushing him away with very few exceptions. That's the pattern you see. And that is, is really the story of Hosea when it's boiled down. The, the story of Hosea is, is really, we're going to start in chapter 3 in a minute, but just to give the background to that as well. Hosea is was a prophet in the Old Testament who God appeared to uh, one day, who he, he encountered. And uh, Hosea is minding his own business, doing, doing whatever Hosea did. And, uh, and God appears to him and says, Hosea, I want you to marry a woman of unfaithfulness. And there's some debate as to what that exactly means. Uh, most people feel that it means, most scholars feel, it, uh, feel that it means that he was called to marry a prostitute. That God, God who is holy, who is perfect, who has you know, certainly no interest in the act of prostitution, calls his prophet, his set-aside prophet Hosea, to marry a prostitute. How would you like that? If God appeared to you someday... And said, Jisoo, go marry a male prostitute. You know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak something through this. You know? Uh, yeah. We, we generally don't think that's something that God would have us do, right? We typically think prostitution is wrong. Therefore, I should not marry a prostitute. Is that, are you with me? Yeah. Okay. I do not encourage any of you to marries a prostitute who is still in the, you know, in the act of, or the lifestyle, I should say, of prostitution. Once that person's been redeemed and set free, I encourage you to pursue someone who's come out of that background. Um, but God calls Hosea to go marry this woman of unfaithfulness, likely a prostitute, 
And then Hosea has children with her. Now, Hosea knows that this woman is going to be unfaithful to him. He knows when he marries this woman, she's going to be cheating on him. She's going to run away with someone else, and she's going to just leave him. He knows that before he gets married, and he marries her anyways because the Lord told him to. Now, Hosea and his wife, she's got a really interesting name. Anyone know her name? Gomer. Yeah, interesting name. At that time, maybe it was a beautiful name. We... We probably aren't going to name our children Gomer either. Please don't marry her. You could, no, nah, please don't name your daughter Gomer. It's better not to. Uh, so he marries a woman named Gomer, and they have three children. They all have very unfortunate names. Uh, they're very, very depressing names. I won't get into them right now. Uh, you can look it up in Hosea 1 later. But uh, so he does this, and then just like he knows is going to happen, Gomer, his wife, runs away and, and goes and prostitutes herself again. Okay? Hosea knew this was going to happen. He had children with her, married her, and then she, she runs away. And this is where Hosea 3 picks up. So everyone, you got Hosea 3? Okay. Looking at the first five verses of Hosea 3. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Okay. So, Hosea's wife runs away from him. She's gone. Hosea's left with his three kids. He's, he's a single father at this point stay-at-home dad, or or he's stay-at-home prophet dad. And uh, I guess he's still prophesying. And, And God appears to him a second time and says, Hosea, I want you to go back to your wife. Now, it's very interesting uh, when you get into the Hebrew of this passage, as a seminary student, I've been studying Hebrew, and this passage, uh, it really gets me. Actually, last year I wrote a, a term paper on this. It just, it really grips me um, what, when you get to the Hebrew, what was actually going on here. The word, when God says in verse 1, go show your love to your wife again, the, the better meaning of that, instead of saying, go show your love to your wife again, is really, go win your wife's heart again. Go woo her to yourself again. Go pursue her again. I find that incredible. Because here's what, here's what God does not say. Like this woman has, in that time, she did everything to deserve death. 
Within that context, in the Old Testament, if you were to go prostitute yourself and, and become an adulteress, you deserve to die. That's what the law commanded. What the passage does not say, what God does not say here, is Hosea, I want you to have mercy on your wife. Because that actually would have been a righteous thing to do. To have mercy on her. We know that, especially considering Joseph and Mary in the New Testament. Because the Bible says, in in the Gospels, the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. Okay? Mary, the woman he was betrothed to, the woman he was engaged to, was all of a sudden found to be with child, but they didn't sleep together, right? And she claimed it was by the Holy Spirit. Joseph had no concept of that, okay? If you're a girl, that's a, you know your, your boyfriend's probably not going to believe you if you're pregnant and you say, I, it was the Holy Spirit, you know? Joseph has no grid for that, okay? But, so he assumes that she, you know, slept with someone else. And the Bible says Joseph was a righteous man. He was going to divorce her or set her, like, just leave her quietly. That would have been righteous to just have mercy on her and not have her killed. Because that's what the law called for. That's what this passage does not say. It doesn't say... Hosea, I want you to let your wife come groveling back on her knees. You know, because she, she deserves some sort of repayment for that. I mean, you can't just let her come back and, and whatever. She's, she's got to feel the weight of what she did wrong, you know? She's got to pay some penance for that or something. Let her, let her come back, but let her come back groveling. The Bible doesn't say that. God doesn't say to Hosea, he doesn't even say, Hosea, I want you to let her come back, but just forget about it. You know, just, just forget it ever happened. You know, just, just keep, you know, just keep, you know, loving her and honoring her and that sort of thing. That's not what God tells Hosea. What God tells Hosea is, Hosea, I want you to go and win her heart again. Go win her heart. Can you imagine what Hosea felt like? Like this woman runs off with another man, probably multiple men. And you want me to go pursue her? Are you kidding me? Like what kind of emotions would have been in Hosea's heart? Within our context, I was trying to think of like, the best example of, of anyone that I know or have heard of who is in a situation like that in our day and age now. Uh, the closest thing I could come up with that I've heard of through an old friend of mine, her brother was married to this woman for many years. And they had what was apparently like a, a relatively healthy relationship that broke down. And over a number of years, this woman started to sleep around with other guys. Okay, And then eventually she went and she ran away with another man. And she was living life with him. Left my friend's brother just, you know, without any real explanation, just left. During that time, she got pregnant with the other guy. Okay? At that point, 
she comes to her sense. Yeah, she comes to her senses and says, "What did I do? I can't believe I did that." And she comes back pregnant with another man's baby, back to my friend's brother. I mean, if that was you, what would you do? Really? And my friend's brother took back that woman and raised that baby as his own. And that's not even that close to what Hosea did here. That really isn't that close. My friend's brother didn't go like across the, the country to win her heart. But that's what Hosea is doing here. Go win her heart again. And guys, that is God communicating through this story the way he looks at each one of you. That is God's heart toward each one of you. Why should God care about me? Really? When you think about it, he's God, right? He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anyone. He's fully sufficient in himself. And yet he doesn't just let me come to him groveling on my knees. He doesn't just let me come to him, you know, and forget that anything ever happened between us. He looks down at me and he pursues me relentlessly. My testimony is a testimony of God pursuing me relentlessly. Your testimony is a testimony of a God who is pursuing you relentlessly. Wherever you're at, whatever situation you find yourself in right now, you are in the season of God pursuing you relentlessly. Beloved, that, that's why you're here. Whether you realize it or not, you may have had all sorts of reasons for coming to Korea to study here. Lots of good reasons. I tell you what, God drew each one of you here and he drew you here to pursue you. I know that. You see, whatever season you're in is a season of God pursuing you. Even if you're in a wilderness season, wilderness meaning like you feel like God's far away or you just, you know, you, you just don't feel the presence or the love of God, whatever it might be. That's also a season of God pursuing you. You know that? Your seasons of, of real difficulty are seasons of God pursuing you because what God's actually doing, he's calling you to trust him. He's calling you to lean on him. Like when the Israelites spent time in the wilderness, you read about that in the Old Testament? That was all about God pursuing them. God teaching this people to trust him. God teaching this people to look to him. And I think back to my my years in university too. And those are some of the sweetest years of my life. Where I was, 
I was I was really busy during those years. I was I was overloading on classes, and I was involved in ministries in my home church. I was involved in ministries on campus, and I remember waking up every day, just saying, "God, I desperately need you. I need you. I can't do this, and I need you." And God was so faithful. And he taught me to trust him. He taught me to lean on him. He taught me to look to him. And he was pulling my heart toward him. Beloved, God wants nothing less than your whole heart. He is after all of you. He is a jealous God who wants everything. And he knows that that is where you find fulfillment and purpose and the fullness of joy when he has everything. You will not experience fulfillment in life until he has everything. Can I tell you that? Until he has all of you. Until he has all of you, you'll be living a subpar life. You'll be living well under the standard of what God has made you for. He has come so that you'll have life and have it abundantly. Nothing less. The enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy. The enemy has come to make your life dull. He's come to steal joy and excitement in your life. And God has come to give you the fullness. And he's pursuing you till he has it. See, God isn't easily put off. He's kind of like, this, this is really old. Uh, I don't even know if this is worth saying. But uh, Pepe Le Pew. You guys know Pepe Le Pew? All right. I'm I'm old. But anyways, you know, like, it's, it's this Looney Tunes uh, cartoon, this, this segment where this skunk is pursuing this cat, right? And, uh, and the skunk thinks the cat is actually a skunk. And so he's pursuing the skunk. And he's a French skunk, right? He speaks the French accent, and he's very romantic, or at least he thinks he's very romantic. But he can never get the cat, because the cat isn't a skunk, and the cat's just not interested. Anyways... Pepe Le Pew, you can look it up on YouTube tonight, uh, relentlessly pursues God. He's not easily put off. Like, that's, that, that's all the segment is. Every time, because in Looney Tunes, it's kind of like you got, you know, Pepe Le Pew and you got Bugs Bunny and you got, you know, the Roadrunner and these different segments, right? But every Pepe Le Pew segment is about him pursuing the cat. Everyone. I don't know how many there are, probably hundreds. Every time he's pursuing the cat. He's not easily put off. That's that's like God, but God's way beyond that. God God's not put off by you. God's not put off by your resistance. God's very patient in his pursuit. But he wants everything. Yeah, he really does. The fullness of the pursuit of God really culminates beyond the Old Testament. And it goes to the New Testament, to the Gospels, and ultimately to the cross. You see, God... 
wants to be with you and wants all of you so badly, so much, that he was going to do anything to make that happen. He was going to pay any price because of the love he feels toward each one of you. Because his heart was so filled with passion and longing for each one of you, he decided to do whatever it took. Because the thing is, God pursued his people through the Old Testament. Time after time, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to tell his people, repent, turn away from sin, turn to me, I love you, I'm going to take you back, turn to me, I love you, I'm waiting for you. But none of this was working. His people kept rejecting him and turning away from him. And God says, I'm going to do something to make this work. And in doing that, he paid the ultimate price in sending his only son, his own son to earth to live a human life, to live a perfect life, to die in our place for our sin so that we could have life and freedom and relationship with God. So we could enter into the fullness with God. God's pursuit of you cost him his son. God's per- Let that sink in. God's pursuit of you cost him his son and nothing less than that. And God did not have his son sacrificed so that you would live a mediocre life. He did not have his son sacrificed so you could only into the, enter into the partial fulfillment of what God meant for you. He didn't do it so he could have part of you. He did it so he could have all of you. Every part. He is the God who pursues It does not matter if you are on fire for God right now or whether you're feeling very far away from him. It doesn't matter if, you know, you grew up in a Christian home and you feel pretty secure in your faith and your relationship with God or whether you grew up in a completely atheistic home and you didn't really grow up knowing God at all. Wherever you are, wherever you've been, wherever you are right now. God is pursuing you. That's the word of God for you for tonight. And that's going to hit harder for some people than it is for others. But I feel strongly on my heart. That's what God wants you to know. He is pursuing you, and he will pursue you for the rest of your life. He will not be put off, because that's who he is. That is his nature. He cannot disown himself. When he looks at you, he's so filled with longing, filled with love, filled with desire. That's crazy. And I tell you, nothing has transformed my life more than that truth. Nothing. Now we're going we're gonna to spend some time praying, just receiving that. So close your eyes.